it meant so much to you that it takes your focus away from the Lord Jesus. So financial prosperity can be a weight, right? What else could be a weight? A weight could be you caring about something too much. You just care so much that you keep trying to do something because you care so much. Listen, I care a lot about a lot of things and a lot of people. But just my little bit of relationship with God, I know that's the big area. People have to be dealt with by God. I wish somehow we can make it right with them. But people has to be dealt with by God. Because even when you try to use your way of dealing with people and they appease you, it's just temporary. And when God works his work, he's working the work for you to be eternally changed. And if God can't get you to see how you need to see to eternally change, then you're in grave danger. And so we have to realize that we can care for people and we should love people. But sometimes some of the things that you're expecting from people, it may never happen. You can't let that take you out of God. That's a weight. That's a weight. That's, somebody say that's a weight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then you have the weight of sorrow. The weight of sorrow. Maybe you lost somebody. Maybe, maybe, maybe your, your, your relationship is, is not working. And, and there's other things that will cause you to have sorrow. And now you, you're in your existence. All you ever think about is that sorrow of that situation. That sorrow of losing a loved one. That sorrow of that relationship not being good. That sorrow of something that's just driving you crazy. And every time you try to move forward, that sorrow is in your mind and on your heart. And you can't move forward. It's a way. Somebody say, it's a weight. The weight of worldly business interests. All of these things are not bad things per se. But they could be a weight. This is, this is what I'm trying to tell you. And the scripture we just read say, lay aside every weight. It could be the weight of earthly ambition. Nothing wrong with having ambition. Uh, th- this is strategic in what I'm saying this morning because sometimes when we think of weight, we think it, it, it has to be something wrong or it has to be something bad. No, there's good things. There are things uh, that are meaningful that could become a weight. Uh, they could become a hindrance. Uh, they could become a disadvantage to us when we're trying to run this race for Jesus Christ. It could be the weight of human affection. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares for me. Nobody is attentive to me. Nobody show me love. They show this one love, but they don't show me love. And that can bother you to the point where it causes, it becomes a weight in your life. And, and God is trying to move you along in the race, but you can't move along because you're, you're there stuck on the affection that I'm not getting. 
These things must not be allowed. They lie heavy on your soul. These things that are lying heavy on our soul, they cannot be allowed. And that's why the Lord want me to tell you this morning, we have to lay every weight that so easily beset us. The things that are cluttering your mind, the things that are overtaking you, the things that are causing you to not be able to focus on Jesus, the things that are hindering you from really doing everything God wants you to do. We have to lay them aside. If not, we're going to find ourselves struggling and asking ourselves, why can't we do this? And why isn't this going right? God is asking you this morning, will you lay aside these things to run this race that you need to run? Will you lay them aside? Will you lay them aside? Hallelujah. And so he wants to know if we're going to lay aside these weights that so easily beset us. I had the privilege this past Thursday in the daytime and Friday in the daytime to attend this conference called Global Leadership Summit. Global Leadership Summit started with um, Christian people um, but it's really a fantastic leadership um, summit. And what they have done is they have brought in many different types of leaders from around the world to do a presentation. And so most of the people that do the presentation are Christians, but there's some that are not. Some of them are Apple CEOs or Microsoft CEOs, but because they're leaders, leadership principles usually stay the same. And what I normally tell people in church, that most of these successful leaders have taken the principle of the Bible and used it in their personal life for their own gain and make it seem, they don't think it this way, but, but maybe everyone take it as, wow, this person's so smart. Wow, this person, it's Bible principles. And so we have the Christians that are great leaders, and we have non-Christians that are great leaders, but all great leaders have this biblical principle that they're probably applying, and that's why they're successful. And so this summit was very good, and we really enjoyed it. But this one presenter, his name was Rasmus, Rasmus Ankerson, Rasmus Ankerson. I like his presentation. And I listened to all of them. I enjoyed all of them. But something stuck out to me in his presentation. He talked about uh, a, a situation that he calls the gold mine effect. The gold mine effect. He said he traveled around the world to do some research to find out why certain countries were dominant in particular sporting events. Of course, that grabbed my attention. He went to Ethiopia. He went to South Korea, he went to Brazil, he went to Kenya, and he went to Jamaica. He went to Ethiopia. Why? Because Ethiopia has the best middle long-distance runners. Middle long-distance runners. That's where the best middle long-distance runners are. He went to South Korea because that's where the best women golfers are. He went to Brazil, obviously. Football, soccer, whichever one you want to call it. That's where the best uh, footballers are. He went to Kenya. 
we know they're good in distance, but the one that he focused on with Kenyans was they are the best in the 3,000 meter steeplechase. Then he went to Jamaica. Best sprinters in the world. So he did this research and he talked to all of these uh, managers and coaches for these uh, various different um, sport teams. And the one that he presented was the guy that he spoke to in Jamaica um, for the Jamaican track team. The guy name is Stephen Francis. He is the coach, trainer, whatever you want to call him the manager, whatever you want to call him, of the Jamaican, the, 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 the best track team in Jamaica. And he asked him, why does he continue to produce the best sprinters in the world? You have to see the video. So Rasmus went to Jamaica, and early in the morning he took a taxi, maybe about 5 o'clock, I think he said he got there about 4.30 in the morning, to the track where he know they train. When he got to the track, he pulled up. He said to the taxi cab driver, is this where I'm supposed to be? This doesn't look where, like where I'm supposed to be. The taxi cab driver said, no, 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 this is it. So he got out of the, the car and stood for a while. Then a guy rolled up, looked like he's totally out of shape, rolled up, put his chair down, and sit in his chair and cross his legs. So he, he showed a picture of the guy. I'm just like, oh, God, what is happening here? So the guy sat in his chair chilling. Then some people start to arrive and arrive. And so he's kind of scoot over to the guy and start asking him questions. Come to find out that was Stephen Francis. That was the, the coach. And he looked at him. He said, is this the field? And he said, yeah, this is the field. And he says, hold on. Why is this field so messed up? It's not a real track field. It's not set up with lines. I mean, all kind of stuff. He's like, what in the world is this? Why is it like that? The first response that Mr. Francis gave him was, listen, let me tell you why we produce the best runners. First thing you got to look for in a runner is they got to be hungry. Folks, if we're not hungry, we won't eat. If we're not hungry, we're not going to eat. The next thing he told him was, you have to put them in, in, in not very good condition. Come on, hear what I'm saying this morning. He said, when you look at America and Europe, look at their facilities. Look at the conditions that they train in. How can you ever be hungry? And how can you ever do anything successful when everything is at your pleasure? He said, I will never change this field. I will never get them new stuff. I will never let this facility look nice because look what we're producing with this. I'm not changing this. I got to keep them hungry and I got to keep them wanting to be successful. Listen to me. We got to get hungry around this place. We have to start understanding that we don't need great conditions. I know I've been saying for the longest that I know God's getting ready to open the door for us to get our building. And maybe this is going to be the building that God is going to give to us. But that's not my focus. My focus is uh, I don't care what the conditions are. I don't care what the circumstances are. I just know uh, I want to please Jesus. I want to walk with him. uh, And I want a really successful Christian life in Christ. 
If you're looking for comfortability, if you're looking for everything to just be right, you won't be successful living for the Lord. Listen, remember I told you, we're experiencing more miracles overseas than we are in America. We, 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 can, we can like it, we can criticize it all we want, but I know the very first thing why they're experiencing miracle is because they're hungry for Jesus. Uh, their situation says, uh, if I don't get God, I'm going to be in trouble. There is no welfare system. There is no system in place for me to eat if there's no food. Uh, there's no place. Uh, there's no system in place for me to get a job if I don't have a job. Uh, and so i got to seek God if I want to see something in my life change. But we... We're comfortable. Everything is flowing. I guarantee you if the air condition wasn't working for, the, for about three Sundays, we will have just a couple people up in here. You're laughing, but it's the facts. Because we just got to be comfortable. And I got to tell you the truth. I don't know if I'm just an idiot or something, but every once in a while, or maybe even more than that, I don't mind the conditions being really crazy, because I want God to know I want to serve you, and it doesn't matter what the conditions are. It doesn't matter what kind of facility I'm in. I'm going to serve you whether it's easy. I'm going to serve you whether it's hard. Jesus is my Lord, and no matter what the situation, I'm serving Him. No matter what the challenges are, I'm serving Him. No matter what i got to go through, I'm serving him. We got to start doing what we have to do to let God know how much he means to us. We can't just give him trinkets. We can't just come to him just just, just when we feel good. Or we can't just come to him when circumstances are just awry in our life. We got to let God know how much we love him. Church, I got to tell you, when we come here, when you come here, I ask yourself, what do you come to do? What do you come to do? Listen to me. If you don't get comfortable and love and enjoy church, how are you going to be in heaven? This is just a preliminary. This is just a prelude. This is just a little example of where it will be in heaven, where we will worship. And sometimes we need to come in here. You don't need to hear from me. You don't need to hear from nobody. You just need to worship Jesus. You just need to praise Jesus. Because when we get to heaven, we will praise Him. We will worship Him. We will adore Him all the live long day. And we will just give Him honor. I don't need to hear somebody to praise God. I don't need to be motivated to give him honor. Jesus deserves my praise. And I will bless the Lord at all times. Somebody give him some praise. Think about these athletes of what they go through so they can become the very best. They're running to win a race. They're running to get ahead. They're running to say, look what I do. They're running so they can get rich. They're running for all kind of reasons. But none of them are running for eternal life. What are we running for? Are we running to be rich? Are we running to be successful? Are we running for eternal life in Christ Jesus? Those athletes, little after five in the morning, they all start rolling in. Rasmus looking at them saying, okay. They coming in. They tie weights around their waist and they're sprinting with weights dragging. They're doing all these things. 
When are you just going to look crazy for Jesus and do some weird thing and let people say, man, you're weird. Guess what? Go down to Jamaica to the track and see who's weird. See how they tie stuff to themselves and run like fools. Go to all around the world and see what they do. Go to Kenya and Ethiopia where they're training hard because they want to go to the Olympics. Some of it is to make money and some of it is for fame, but none of it is for eternity. None of it is for eternity, but they're doing everything that they can. What should we do, church? What should we do? How should we operate? Oh, God, help us. I wish some of us will embrace the challenges and the resistance and say, come on, bring them on. When are we going to get strong and become tough Christians and say, bring on the challenges? I don't care what the situations are. I'm not going to let anything stop me from going into the house of God. I'm not going to let anything stop me from worshiping God. I'm not going to let anything stop me from doing what God called me to do. When are we going to say, bring on the challenges? Bring them on because I'm going to do everything I can for the Lord. Instead of crying and complaining about difficulties, instead of crying and complaining about what you're going through, instead of just complaining and, and, and wondering why, won't you say, the Bible says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. It says, count it all joy. You know what it means when things go wrong, when things happen in your life, you gotta realize that's an opportunity to get stronger. That's an opportunity to get better. That's an opportunity to soar higher. If you would just say, I embrace it. You have to have resistance in order to get stronger in order to get better we need resistance we don't want any resistance we want everything to be smooth we want it to work all just fine but somebody needs to say God I'm willing to deal with the resistance in my life when they try to hinder me from from living for you I don't mind the resistance because they're not going to stop me I wish we would understand that difficulties are stepping stones to our God-given destiny. Come on, somebody, hear me this morning. Our difficulties are God-given stepping stone that will take us to our God-given destiny. If you know God has his hand upon you, why are you worrying about the difficulties? If you allow the difficulties in your life, it just means it's supposed to be there. Now, what you going to do about it when the difficulties is in your way? If God loves you, why would he allow difficulty to come your way? It's because he's trying to make you better. He's trying to make you stronger. And that's why he leaves difficulties in your way. I don't care. Come what may. I'm going to deal with the difficulties. They are stepping stone to my God-given destiny. They are stepping stones to my God-given destiny. Oh, God, help us this morning. My situation is death. It's stepping stone to my God-given destiny. My my difficulties, my troubles, they're stepping stone for me to become who God called me to be. They're stepping stone. I'm going to step on my situations. I'm going to walk on my situations because they're stepping stones. They're stepping stones. They're stepping stones. They're stepping stones. We need to laugh at the devil and tell him, devil, I don't care what you do. You can't defeat us. You can't stop us. And when the difficulties come, it's because daddy believes we can handle it. I don't need to know I can handle it if daddy know I can handle it. 
How many times we say to our children, you can do it. They don't know they can do it, but we tell them, you can do it. That's what Jesus is saying about you. That's what Jesus is saying about you. Uh, you can do it, son. Uh, you're, you're, you're able to handle it, son. Uh, you're able to handle it, daughter. Don't worry. You go ahead. I'm right behind you. Uh, I'm right in front of you. Uh, I'm right beside you. You can do it. Uh, just go ahead. Make you think about Peter, right? Make you think about Peter. We had the, we had the disciples in the boat. And Peter sees Jesus coming. Is that you, Lord? Yes, yeah, me, Pete. Well, Lord, if that's really you, bid me to step out of the boat. Uh, step out and come. And Peter stepped right on out and started walking on water. Started walking on water. Because why? All we got to do is trust God. We walk because of the word of God. When we're walking on the situations, we're walking on the word of God. What it says, nothing shall be able to separate me from the love of God. And that's the word of God. So when I walk on my, walk on my difficult situation, I say nothing shall be able to stop me from separate me from the love of God. I'm going to walk on my situations. Oh, help me, Peter. Help me, church. This difficulty stuff that they're trying to uh, make me feel. I don't care. I'm at the place right now. I don't know if it's age. I don't know what it is. But I'm at the place right now where it just it doesn't matter to me. A lot of stuff. Same for you. A lot of stuff has come at me for a long time. And now I'm at an age where I smile and say, listen, I'm 50 years old now. And if that didn't take me out last year or two years ago or five years ago, it can't take me out now. I'm not an old fool. I'm going to get older and smarter. I've got to get older and wiser. If that didn't stop me then, how is it going to stop me now? i got a little bit more sense now. So bring it on. I'm not going to be a fool to get to this age and think I'm going to walk away from God. I'm not going to get to this age and think I need something more than Jesus. I started serving God when I was in the prime of what you will call my life at 26. That's prime time. Everything going on at 26. You can do anything you want at 26. Yeah. And if I can make it through the 26 and the 36, please. I laugh at everything right now. I, I laugh at the devil. Bring on your stuff, devil. And some of you need to do the same thing. Say, devil, and listen, don't even get all worried about your failure. Listen. A lot of the leaders that spoke, many of them talked about this. They're trying to get everybody, again, Bible, everybody to realize that your mistake and your, well, your failure, mistake, whichever one you want to call it, your failure are good. That's what they're teaching. Your failure is good because what it does is it lets you know what you should do or shouldn't do. And so it, it takes you a little closer to your goal. Because now you understand, okay, if you got any kind of sense, I messed up doing it this way. So I know not to do it this way. Or I know it will not work that way. I have to readjust and do it a different way if I expect for it to work. So for this, this leadership summit, they're, they're trying to get that into people's brain. But guess what? I already got that. Peter. Same Peter again. You know what Peter did? He denied Christ. I preached on that message 
at headquarters, UPCI headquarters, I preach to preachers. And you know what I talked about? Your failure is preparation for your victory. Your failures. Why can I say that? Because Peter was the one that preached the first message to the church. Oh, somebody help me. How is how how all the disciples, all the disciples, they're all powerful. John and all them, no, powerful. But it's the crazy one that denied Christ three times. That was the one that chosen to preach the message. Explain that. Because he learned from his failure. Because he was trying stuff, and when he tried it and it didn't work, he understood some stuff. He learned things in the process of his failure. Don't worry about your failure. Just know you ain't never going to quit. Just know you ain't never going to give up. Just know you ever never going to stop. Don't worry about your failure. God's got you. He's called you. And all you got to do is repent and ask for forgiveness and keep on moving. Don't worry about your failure. Don't let your failure intimidate you. Sometimes we don't do things because we're worried about failing. Sometimes we don't do things because we're worried about what if it don't happen. I'm here to tell you this morning, don't you worry about those things. Jesus had them under control. You just do everything that God has put into your heart. Do what you read in the Bible. And when you mess up, just get up and keep on going. Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. When he talked to the Brazilian coach, the Brazilian coach says, well, the reason why our guys are good is because of practice. Ah. Practice. Practice practice is doing it in preparation for the actual event. Our actual event is the rapture. <laughs> Our actual event is one day Jesus Christ is going to appear in the sky and catch the church away. That's the real deal right there. So all while we're here, it's all practice. Getting ready for the big show. Getting ready to go to heaven is all practice. Remember, we have said over and over, it takes 10,000 hours to perfect anything or to become really good at anything. 10,000 hours. Sounds like a lot, right? Well, of course, they calculate it this way. If you will practice 2.5 hours every day for 10 years, you have mastered whatever you were practicing. 2.5 hours for 10 years. So they said Brazilian football players or soccer players become really good at the age of 13. Because at least for 10 years, 2.5 hours a day, they are playing ball. And so if they start playing ball at the age of three, and they're playing for two and a half hours every day from the age of three, every day from the age of three till they get to 13, guess what? They're really good. Oh, I love that. Three years old, they're sending their kids out there. Go play some ball. That was probably natural. You know, in, in America, we're telling our kids to go play ball because we want to get them rich. We want them to go pro and make a lot of money. In most foreign countries, it's just what you do. You got to go out. What else are you going to do? You don't have money to play no PlayStation. You don't have no money to stay, sit in the house and play these games. Then it's hot in the house. You better all standing under a tree. <laughs> 
So it, it's a good thing to get outside the house every day. I remember growing up that, man, you got up in, in the morning when it's summertime, you just knew we was going to play cricket, we was going to play some ball, or we was going to run. We knew that. That was just every day. That's part of your day. And so they do it for 10 years, the Brazilian uh, kids, and they become so good. What are we doing for practice? How much are we practicing prayer? How much are we practicing worship in God? How much are we practicing praise in God? Uh, how much are we putting in? How much effort are we putting in to make sure we're so solid that no matter what happens, we will be steadfast and unmovable? The scripture also said, lay aside the sin. Because they also easily beset us. Sin cling to us and is a burden to us. It is a disease that if we don't deal with it and we don't lay it aside, it eventually will kill us. When we think of sin, we usually think of sin like lying and stealing and cheating and murder and cussing and whoremongering and crazy parties and smoking and drinking alcohol and gossiping. When we think of sin, we think of those blatant things that we do wrong. Yes, and they are wrong, and they are sin. While those are certainly things that we need to deal with because they easily beset us and they will put a wedge between us and our God, while there are things like that, we have to stop, though, and also think about this sin thing. We need to view it in another light as well. We're trying to run this race. And we're trying to complete this race and be success, fully victorious. And so James chapter 4, verse 17 says this. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. So it's not always these big sins we just talked about. Just knowing what you're supposed to do, that's good, and not do it. I know I'm supposed to pray this morning, but man, I woke up late and, and I just can't catch up because if I stop to pray, I'm going to be late dropping the kids off. If I stop to pray, uh, I'm going to miss my early meeting. If I stop to pray, I'm not going to be able to get my coffee. If I stop to pray, and you're saying, well, God understands. Let's look at the definition again of sin. Therefore, to him to know it to do good and doeth it not. So if you're supposed to pray because you know when you don't, what did you do? Mm-hmm. I know we didn't think about it like that. But I want you to hold on to that. I want you to hold on to that because those are some of the things that will help you to become a successful Christian. Those are the things. You've got you to gotta hold on to those things. And those are the things that determine the conditions that you're in. You're realizing, I woke up late, but what am I going to do this morning? I woke up late, but what am I going to do? And you just got to stop and say, God, I am not going to sin. The condition is really challenging right now because if I stop and pray for 10 minutes, if I stop and pray for 15 minutes, uh, my whole thing is going to be thrown off. But you know what? We got to say, God, you got it. I may be late this morning, but what, what, what can I do? I can't do anything but to just stop and just begin to pray and just begin to seek your face and begin to seek your will for the day and begin to cover my family in, in the blood of Jesus Christ and cover them in safety. I have to pray. I know I'm running late, but I won't sin. And because I won't sin, the favor of God is just flowing in my life. 
And that meeting that you had at 10 o'clock got pushed back to 11 o'clock. I'm just telling you how God works. Got pushed back and you're like, whoo, whoo. Because I didn't want to have to come in that door at 10, 15 and 10, 20 and have everybody looking at me. Mm-hmm. And so God just pushed it right back because you decide I'm not going to sin. I'm going to pray because I knew good. I knew the right thing and I did it. Sin is not doing the good you know you should do. So when you know you're supposed to do good and you don't do it, you sin. So you don't have to try to break it down to lines. That's too complicated. Just understand when you know the good that you're supposed to do and you don't do it, you just sinned. So just ask God for forgiveness, pay attention to it, and do what you got to do to move on. So now we move on in the scripture where it says, And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The word rendered patience means perseverance. Again, here's that running thing again. When you're running a distance race, that's more mental than anything else. When you're a sprinter, it's probably not as mental. Because when you're sprinting, you just have to have speed and just sprint as hard as you can. You use all the strength that you can. Sprinting requires just strength. Just give it all you've got. Running long distance is psychological. I've run long distance. And when your legs are burning and you're tired and you think too much about it, you're going to stop. When you're running long distance, you have to almost say, they're going to have to pick me up off this ground. I don't care. I am going to finish this race. I am not stopping. I am not going to let my mental tell me you can't go anymore. I'm just going to keep on running. They're going to have to just pick me up. That was my mind. That was the psychological thing I did to myself where I never stopped. Sometimes, you know, I'm telling you another secret I did when I ran. I'm telling you, this, 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 this message spoke so much to me. If I had to pee before it's time to run, I never peed. I'm, I'm not, I know y'all think, why is he saying that? I can't. Uh, why am I telling you that? Conditions. Conditions. I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable. Conditions. So now I'm running, and the bottom line is if I stop, I'm going to pee on myself. I better keep running. To, to you, know, you know what? We got to pee and we... You know how we do? Somebody in the bathroom, you got to pee, you got to run in place. You do all this kind of stuff until you can get to the bathroom to pee. Because that's how we do this, to, to not let the pee come down on us, right? Okay, maybe you're 12 years old and that's not happening right now, but wait a little bit longer and you'll see it's going to start happening. Okay, Josiah, you might not understand that. Okay, okay. First of all, y'all young people don't drink enough liquid anyway, so you never got to pee. <laughs> right? But you live long, you'll know. But I used to run, and it's, it's time to pee. I said, I'm not peeing. And I get in the race, and I start running. And all I know in my mind, if I stop, Brother Bob, I'm going to have to pee. So I just ran until the end and run straight to the bathroom when I finish. But there's something about the conditions. When they're rigorous and challenging, it does something different to your mindset. Can I tell you this? Go and study your Bible. i got to go finish up. It's... Might have to do a part two on this. Go and study your Bible, and you'll see every time God's people, the children of Israel, was comfortable, they sinned. Go look at your Bible. 
your Bible. Every time the children of Israel was uncomfortable, was, was in a comfortable place, they sinned. And as soon as they were uncomfortable, they call on the Lord. When they were in slavery, they call on the Lord. Oh, look what they're doing to us. And they cry out to God. And now they're praying. And now they're, Lord, help us. But as soon as everything was good, guess what? They went back to sinning. Make, making making uh, statues and all that kind of stuff. And so we got to be careful that we don't get, we don't like the comfortable situation. We got to be comfortable in order to make everything work because the more comfortable you are, the, the, the worst off you're going to be in being faithful to God. Yes, yes, yes. And I think that's what has happened to the church in America. We're, we're just so comfortable. We're so comfortable that we can just, we just find ourselves doing stuff we shouldn't be doing because we're so comfortable. I want to be uncomfortable in so much, so many of the areas in my life. I, I want God to challenge me. We, we, we have to run the race without allowing ourselves to be hindered by any obstructions and without passing it out or fainting. We must, we must persevere in the race called Christianity. We have to persevere in the race called Christianity. It's about perseverance. Somebody say perseverance. I'm going to finish up here. And Hebrews chapter uh, 12, in the, in the second verse, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Listen to this. Here is another way that that would read if you look at all those words broken down to his exact meaning. It will read this way. Looking to Jesus. The originator and perfecter of our faith. Looking to Jesus, the originator. He is the one that originated faith. He is the one that established this thing called Christianity. This is why no matter who you want to follow, you better stop and say, what did Jesus do? No matter what you hear, you need to stop and say, how did Jesus handle this? Because Jesus is the one that originated this. And if you go by anything else, uh, then you're out of order and you're not following according to the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that originated this and he is the one that will help you perfect this. So we can't do this without him. That's why the Bible says, uh, looking unto Jesus. Uh, everybody in this room, uh, we need to look to Jesus. Uh, we need to focus on Jesus. Uh, we need to put our eyes fixed on Jesus uh, and say, Lord, uh, I'm looking at you. Uh, I'm focused on you. Uh, and and you are the one that will bring me through. Soon as Peter took his eyes off Jesus, he started sinking. Right? Soon as when, when Jesus bid him to come, he was focused on Jesus and he was walking towards Jesus. And man, he was he didn't even realize he was walking on water. And as soon as some distraction, the winds was blowing, he took his eyes off Jesus to check the winds blowing. Help! He was sinking. We have to put our eyes on Jesus. We have to focus on Jesus. We have to make sure we let Jesus help us to perfect what we call our faith. If it's not, if it's, if, if it's, if we're not in Jesus, we will never perfect this thing. If we're trying to do this on our own and try to do it with our own intellect, we will not perfect this thing or complete this thing, if you will. God wants to help us, but we gotta look to Him this morning. We have to look to Him all the time. For the joy that was set before Him, He endured to the cross. 
cross, uh, enduring the despise and the shame. He endured this the shame. He endured being despised, uh, and he just kept on going. He didn't let anything, anything get in his way of his race. Stand with me. I'm going to tell you this as we're closing. When the scripture started out, it says, the very first part of the scripture, it talked about the great cloud of witnesses. We're in, we're, we're in, 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 compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. You know what that means? If you go back to Hebrews chapter 11, the entire scripture is dedicated to men and women of faith. And so when you read that, it's dedicated to them. So what the writer of Hebrews was saying in chapter 12, he says, all the witnesses we have as their testimony. So you can't tell the Lord, oh, you know, Lord, I can't do that. He's going to say, I had a prostitute get saved. Rahab, go, go, just go check it out. Rahab, she was a prostitute. She got saved. She walked her walk. I mean, you go through all of it, Abraham and Noah and all of them. They, they, they had their challenges, but they made it. And so the Bible is trying to show us that we can make it too. Just don't give up. You can make it. Look at all the cloud of witnesses that made it in faith. They all died in faith. Our responsibility or duty is we're trying to die in faith, whether by the rapture or when we leave here and they bury us. We're trying to die in faith. We're supposed to be doing like the ones we read about in Hebrews chapter 11. And if that's not enough, looking unto Jesus. (laughs) If that's not enough, looking unto Jesus. It says looking unto Jesus. Despising the shame. As a matter of fact, before you even talk about the shame, it says, who for the joy that was set before him. You tell me how is it joy knowing that you was getting ready to be crucified. Tell me. Anybody want to tell me how that worked? You getting ready to be crucified and you said the joy that was set. He looked past the crucifixion. That's why it was joy. He looked past the crucifixion and saw you and me having the opportunity to be saved. That's, that's why it was joy. He knew what he had to suffer and go through, but he didn't make that the immediate. He looked at what he was going to accomplish so you and I will have this opportunity today. Let me tell you this. The death of Jesus Christ made our reconciliation to him possible. The life of Jesus Christ make our salvation possible. See, I used possible both times. The death of Jesus Christ made our reconciliation to him Because when Adam and Eve sinned, we was separated when they sinned. And so from that point on, all through the Old Testament, there was separation. And when Jesus came and he died and he ascended to heaven, it allows the opportunity to be reconciled back to him. No separation. This is why we need the Holy Spirit. When you have the Holy Ghost, tell me if there's any separation. He's living in you. There's no separation. When Adam and Eve was in the garden, they was all consumed by him. And when they sinned, there was separation. And the day of Pentecost, he said, I'm going to make sure there's no more separation. 
So it's important to understand how serious it is for him with us. He doesn't want any separation between us and him. That's not what he wants. And so he looked past the crucifixion. And he says, yeah, I'm going to be crucified. And yeah, it's a hard thing. But you know what? I look at what it will accomplish. And that, to me, is worth everything. And it says he endured the cross. And he endured the shame. And when it says that he was sat down on the right hand of God, don't get that confused. Let me tell you something so you can explain this. Back in the day... When the high priest used to go through the tabernacle and worship. When the high priest got into the holies of holy and applied the blood onto the altar, he always stood on the right side of the altar. <laughs> All right, Brother Henry, you will understand. Let me talk to you real quick. So the high priest, Brother Henry, he always stood on the right side of the altar when he went through the holies of holy. When he finally got into the holies of holy, he applied the blood for the sin of the people. To the, He was standing on the right side. So it was a common practice that the high priest stand on the right side of the altar. The presence of God is in there and he stood on the right side of the altar and applied the blood. So when you read every time it says, and Jesus is sitting on the right hand of God, because we're not Hebrew and we didn't understand all that stuff, we didn't understand that. We're trying to, well, is it two? God and Jesus? No. No. He was speaking to everybody that understood him to let them know that the right hand of God is where the blood is applied. So when it says Jesus is, 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 is on the right hand of God, it's saying the blood is being applied. As a matter of fact, I can, this is another sermon. But when Jesus died and he rose and he said, don't touch me, guess what? It is said that when Jesus ascended to heaven, he went into the throne room and applied the blood. And that's why he didn't want him to be touched. And he couldn't be touched until he applied that blood. And then when he came back down... You couldn't see that because it's the Spirit of God traveling. But when he rose from the dead, he ascended, applied, and came back and was walking among us. So that right hand of God always was something that was established throughout the tabernacle days. So don't get confused and think it's two people. No, it was the place where the high priest stood. And guess what? Did you know that the Bible described Jesus as our high priest? Listen, man, that dude don't mess. He don't miss anything in the Bible. Jesus is our high priest, and so because he's our high priest, Brother Henry, when he is described himself at the throne, he's still saying, on the right hand of God. It's not two people, not three people. Same Jesus, the one and true and living God, standing on the right side of the, tr the throne, or sitting on the right side of the throne. When you are struggling, and you're going through what you're going through, just say this to yourself in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. I have not resisted sin unto blood. Me and you are struggling with sin, but how much fight did we put in? How much fight did we put in trying to resist sin? The Bible says when Jesus was in the garden, he prayed so hard. He was battling sin and it wasn't his. He battled sin in the garden that was not his. Till his prayers caused him to sweat and they were dropping like blood. And that wasn't his sin. Are you resisting your sin to blood? Are you resisting your sin with everything you've got? Or are you just kind of casually going along and then complain? 
maybe we need the conditions to change on us. And when the conditions change, then we'll realize, man, I'm in a battle. But I don't think we understand right now that we're supposed to battle. And Jesus made it that way for us. Stepping stone to our God-given destiny. It's not going to be easy. But the more you keep doing it, 10,000 hours. After a while, stepping stone would be like, bring it on. Bring on the stepping stone. I could care less. All the challenges. This, this is why probably when, if you really live this thing long enough, after a while you can say stuff like, this stuff don't matter to me anymore. It's because you've done it for so long, you've seen a whole lot that you realize, I'm all right. I'm going to be all right. You all right. You're going to be all right. And if you're not there yet, just keep on putting in the practice hours. And you'll realize no matter what happens, I'm going to be all right. To me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. When you think about it like that, how am I going to lose? I'm better off dying. Yeah, I know we always get quiet when I say, I'm just saying, I'm just telling you the truth according to the word. We're better off dying. We are. And we worry about, no. This world just make you all, it's, it's so much that goes on. But when you die, you go in the presence of the Lord for all eternity. We're better off dying. But while we're here, we're going to do everything God wants us to do. Amen. While we're here, let's just do what we need to do. Because one day we're going to die. One day we're not going to be able to enjoy some of the things that we like to enjoy down here. So you might as well make, just make good of what you're doing. Make sure you're rela- Don't just enjoy your relationship. Treat people good. Love people. Love the Lord. It's not, it's not, just do what you got to do. Jesus, author and finisher of your faith. For three minutes, I want to give you an opportunity to lay aside. I want you to think about the sin. The sin. I'm clear about this. The sin. Not the sins. Because usually it's one sin that causes you to do other sins. Uh huh. Uh huh. The biggest sin that causes us to do other sin is having what does what the Bible says? Thou shalt have no other gods before us. Yeah. Yep. That's the one that usually, um, you're not worshiping God as God. That's usually the biggest sin in our life. And that leads to other things. Yeah. The day we make God really God in our life, Lord, the Bible says Lord, Lord is ruler. He's God no matter what, whether you like it or not, he's God. But when you make him Lord, it means you tell him you can rule my life. And if you don't make Jesus Christ Lord of your life, then that's going to lead you to other sins. So that could be the sin. It can be having a false god or idol. So you need to lay that sin aside. And then you need to lay all the weight aside. All the stuff that encumbers upon you that causes you. So just for the next three minutes, if you want to step out of your seat and come, and lay aside some things. I know we're running late today. Today's service was just a little bit different. So we're running a little bit later. But if you want to take three minutes and come today and lay aside by faith. Remember I told you earlier, the grace of God is here. The grace of God is here. And so there's been a lot of struggles in your life. And you're going to get past it today because you're going to lay aside the weights. Remember it says every weight. So it means there's a lot of weights. But then you have to think about the one sin. Right? Got to think about the one sin, but you got to lay aside all the weights. So I want to give you this 
just just a few moments to come and lay aside all the weights and the sin that so easily beset you. That sin, you know it all by yourself. What leads you to do the wrong that you do? All of us struggle with something or another. All right. How are you struggling with it? Why are you struggling with it? Remember, I named a lot of things. Some of it might be weights. And some of the ways says nobody loves me. Nobody showed me that they love me. So you struggle with lust because nobody is, is, is helping you or showing love to you. So you struggle with lust. You got to lay aside that weight. It could be anger. It could be a lot of things that, that are weights. Lay them aside today. God will help you to just get rid of it. And all you got to do today, just verbally say in your mind, Lord, I lay aside this weight of anger. I lay aside this weight, Lord God, of being impatient. I lay aside this weight, Lord God, of holding on to my sorrow. I lay aside this weight, Lord God, of always worrying about my money. I lay aside this weight, Lord God, of wanting affection all the time and not getting none. And then you look at your sin and you say, Lord, my sin of covetousness, I covet other people's stuff. Lord, my sin of unforgiveness, I won't forgive. Will you forgive me? My sin, Lord God, of not a, making you Lord of my life. Will you forgive me? Come on, somebody. Let's just for a couple of minutes. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we stand before you today, Lord, we've heard your word. Your grace is present in this place. And so, Lord, we thank you for giving us this opportunity and privilege. Lord, we lay aside every weight. Every weight, Lord God, that puts us at a disadvantage. Will you begin to show every person in this room the weight that puts them at a disadvantage? Will you begin to show every person in this room, Lord, the weight that impedes them from running successfully and victoriously? Will you show every person, Lord God, the weight that is in their life that they will lay it aside right now? Come on. Let God show you what he wants to show you. And will you go ahead and say, God, I lay it aside now. Now that you show me, Lord, I lay it aside now. I lay it aside. For some of you, you've been hurt really bad. God wants you to lay aside your hurt. You've held on to your hurt for too long. Now he's come to tell you, lay it aside. Lay it aside. Lay it aside. Lay it aside. Oh, yeah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lord, my sin of not making you Lord of my life. My sin, Lord God, of idol worship. No, Lord, I didn't bow down before a statue. No, I didn't bow down before anything. But God, I've made other things more important than you. That's my sin. Will you forgive me of my sin, Lord? Will you forgive me of my 